You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to That Chess Podcast, episode 32, A New Era Begins. I'm joined by Jack Davies, as always. How are we doing, fella? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Good, we've got the uh, the engine going with a first win, so happy with that. Yep, and returning to the pod, it's been a long time that he's back. We've got Mr. Rob Prattley. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, not too bad. And making his debut on the podcast. He's been pretty popular on most Chelsea social platforms this week. It's Marius Fisher. Marius, welcome to the show. How are we doing, man? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I think in the last podcast um, at that YouTube Son of Chelsea, I, I saw that it was my last Chelsea podcast for a while. But yeah, now here I am. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we're hopefully your last Chelsea podcast for a while. As always with uh, guests, I get them sort of to part of their socials, tell people. What about Rob is obviously a big part of the guys at the Chelsea Social. So, Rob, just tell people what they can expect from Chelsea Social. I mean, to be honest, it's ever growing every single day. We've started to really expand in the last couple of uh, months. We've now got our own sort of live streams and watch alongs going along, uh, as well as our usual sort of articles, edits, uh, all sorts of multimedia content. We've got a specific uh, women's page as well, the CFCW Social, after their lovely 4 0 winning at Spurs this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, just come along and do. So you're going to give us a follow if you want any Chelsea women, youth or Chelsea FC content. Nice one. And obviously, Marius, you might have seen some of his visualisations on Twitter. I'll just let Marius sort of talk to, to the people about what the sort of content he produces on Twitter. And yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I'm, I'm mostly producing some visualisations of former players, mostly, for example, Iniesta or Xavi assist maps and so on. But yeah, I also like to talk about football. I'm an Arsenal supporter. Maybe I should have not said it at the start of the podcast, <laughs> but yeah, but I like to, to talk about every team and watch a lot of football. So um, yeah, that's what you can expect if you follow me there. Nice one. I'll, both these guys' socials will be in the description. I'll get them to plug them again. 
at the end. Right. Before we get on to the two games this uh, this week, uh, it's been a busy week for Chelsea. A new manager has come in. Thomas Tuchel is now the new manager of Chelsea Football Club. And who better to talk to us about that man than Marius? Marius, you know, is a knows a lot about Thomas Tuchel. And as I said, he's been on a lot of Chelsea sort of platforms this week. So, Marius, I'll just go as opening question. What can Chelsea fans expect with Thomas Tuchel as manager now? Well, um, maybe as you already saw, Tuchel is a guy who really loves football. Um, I mean, it should be a standard for every coach, but um, I think you really feel that Tuchel loves to talk about football. He loves to talk about tactics and he really has a passion for football. And yeah, I mean, he is a funny guy. Um, he has a bit of this. I think Tuchel is rather a British than a German because he's really funny and um um, yeah, he is well-educated, he talks very um, intelligent and um, yeah, I think um, the Premier League as a general will have a lot of fun with him, um, but of course the important thing is on the pitch and I think, um, yeah, after especially after the win today, the Chelsea fans can look a bit more calm into the future because I think everyone noticed that Tuchel knows what he's doing and um, yeah, I think um, if you think he's just in training for less than a week and you already see the trademark he brings to, to Chelsea's game. And I think this is yeah one of the things I like the most about him because you really see the Tuchel team. You, I just um, switched on the TV at the 10-minute mark and I already saw, okay, Chelsea, Tuchel is their manager because you exactly know how he's playing. And yeah, that's what I like. And I think um, as a fan, that's, that's something good for Chelsea because, um, yeah, you want to have an identity on the pitch and off the pitch. And I think Tuchel is, is a good guy for that. For those who aren't familiar uh, with Thomas Tuchel, what, sort of, what would you describe his style as? Because obviously Chelsea fans of the last two games might just, you know, look at it and go a possession-based side because Chelsea have dominated the possession against Burnley and Wolves. But what else is there? Sort of what other... What else is there to Tuchel game? How would you describe sort of his, his team's style and philosophy? Yeah, well, I think he, he wants to dominate the games. And I wrote on Twitter lately that um, dominance in football has not always to do with um, possession and attacking and creating chances. So he builds from a stable defense because, I mean, today was a good example. I think Burnley had no shot at all. And I think that's what dominance comes from. I mean, there were a lot of games where Chelsea were leading in the past and you did not really trust them to get it over the line. But today, I mean, Burnley had one or two half chances, but I don't think you were really bothered that they could score because, yeah, the, the defense was stable. And so in the end, it was a totally dominant performance, I think. Yeah, that is something you could expect of Tuchel. Um, yeah, he likes to have possession, but not for the sake of it. Um, he wants to really play a direct approach. Um, what I really liked in the in the first two games that the players try to pass the ball quickly. So they get the ball, they receive it, but they don't hold on the ball too long. They, yeah, they try to give it to the next player as quickly as possible. And I think this is the only option to have when you play against these deep blocks. You need to play the quick passes. If you do it slow, then yeah, you have no chance in the Premier League to, to break these deep, low blocks. Um, yeah, I think he really likes to, to be flexible. Um, I think we saw it in the first two games. Um, not really any, any template you could over the, put over the two per squads because um, yeah, different players, different styles. Um, I mean, it's all 
still a period where he tries out some things, um, put Alonso in today, put um, Werner in the starting lineup. Um, he still tries to find his best best starting 11. But um, yeah, I think that the best part about him is that he really, yeah, he's really an adaptive guy. So if, if there are two or three games where the things are not really running well, he knows where to, where to do the tweaks. So he will change formation. He will change players until it's running again. So I think, um, yeah, he's he's not stubborn. So he won't, um, like Sari maybe, who just plays his style, no matter if it works or not. Tuchel is not that guy. So he, he's a bit like Nagelsmann from Leipzig, um, who really knows what to change if things are not running well. So, um, yeah, I think you can expect a lot of flexibility, a lot of true balls, a lot of, yeah, direct approach and of course a lot of possession like you saw in the last two games obviously you know it's kind of been well reported that his relationship with balls in the past hasn't been the best and he even sort of sort of spoke in the press conference i think is how he wants to sort of change our approach how worrying do you think that should be for chelsea fans perhaps his slightly volatile nature or given the fact that it's also chelsea football club and managers don't seem to last long is it perhaps not really a worry for chelsea fans yeah, well, I think um, the time at Paris helped him in this in this kind of situation because the pressure as a coach of Paris Saint-Germain is quite big. I think um, that will help him if he gets into these pressure situations now because at Dortmund and especially at Mainz, there was not that much of a pressure because they are not that much in the focus of the media. Um, well, I mean, um, the Paris situation was a bit different because, I mean, we all know Paris Saint-Germain, they are quite strange club because um, yeah, the owner wants to, them to win the Champions League every season. The league has no priority at all. So um, yeah, there are a lot of people in Paris who wants to have influence, but they don't really know anything about football. So I think um, every coach will find a hard time there. So I think um, I would put that as an isolated time for Tuchel. Um, with Dortmund, um, yeah, I, I thought about it in the last few podcasts. I've been on the, the attack on the bus uh, before the Monaco game in the Champions League. It was a sticking point um, because, yeah, the, the Dortmund bosses, they they forced their players to play the next day. And Tuchel, yeah, he disagreed big time with it because um, he was in this bus. And, um, yeah, I think Tuchel is quite human to say it like that. He wants to have success, but he's also yeah, a human being. So he's quite empathic and so on and I think the bosses just looking on the money and just um, thinking about we need to play to to don't get the fine by the UEFA I think that was a sticking point for Tuchel where the yeah where he really lost the trust into the board and I think yeah in the end this was the deciding point um, that they did not continue working together um, I think it had never any any football reason because um, he did not want the champions chip in, 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 in Germany. He won the cup. Um, I mean, he was in the Champions League final with Paris, so um, I don't think there was any reason um, football-wise to, to sack him. And the same with Mainz. He had big success in Mainz. So, um, yeah. So, I think he is quite stubborn as a coach when it comes to communication because he demands a lot of his players and he demands a lot of the club to, to give him the players he wants. Um, and if the club owners or the managers or the directors of the club, if he feels that they are not really 
putting trust in him and he, they don't really fulfill his demands, he can get a bit crumpy. So I think that could be a bit problematic. If the if the success is not there and Toro wants new players and Chelsea says, no, you don't get them, I think this could be a scenario where it could turn. But as long as the results are coming and as long as there is a good communication between Tuchel and, and, the, and the board, um, I think it's all fine. So he's really no coach that always looks for trouble. Um, he's not like that. So um, I think it's not a general problem, but he had not the easiest jobs in the last past few years. So, yeah, yeah. And obviously Chelsea coaches, you know, we quite a lot of them have quite a, a personality. You know, you kind of hear stories about all sorts of coaches. Are there any sort of crazy stories or stories from Tuchel's like coaching career that sort of stick out to you? Yeah, well, um, on a coaching base, I think there are two or three stories. Um, the first one, obviously, um, yeah, Tuchel is a rule breaker, um, which means he, he likes to, to think different, um, which is not always good, but um, it brings yeah, new ideas to your mind. So um, he was talking at the rule breaker convention um, some years ago when he was still at Mainz. And um, yeah, people asking about his philosophy, how to... Um, implement his ideas to the players when he when he takes over a new club and he wants them to play for example yeah he wants to build a slow builder play or build from the goalkeeper how to implement these ideas and Tuchel is a guy he explained it um he does not like a pass that um, is a long line pass so for example if uh, Alonso got the ball he does not want him to play a long line ball down the line because in 99% of the cases the ball either goes out for a throw-in or it's a dead ball so the, the striker can't do anything because it's in the corner so um, there's not much space to operate so instead of um, yeah forcing his players to not playing this ball which has like a negative um, a negative thing in it because the player think oh my coach my coach forbids me to play a certain pass which is never good because players want to play like they want to and not um, have a coach who tells them how to play. That's never a good thing. So um, what Tuchel did is um, he decided in training to just cut off the corners of the pitch. So in the middle, there was a goal and they were playing like 11 versus 11 and he cut off the corners. So the players could not play these long line balls. But they, yeah, it has a positive effect because they need to find a solution, but they need to find a solution with creativity and not because Tuchel was telling that. So, um, yeah, I think you see he's really a guy who, who has new ideas and who, who wants the players to find own solutions and not tell them to play this pass or that pass. And I think that won't work in a club like Chelsea. I mean, they have world-class players and I don't think a player like um, yeah, Harvard, a player like Jorginho, Thiago Silva, they, they, they play for so long and they don't really want a coach who tells them how to play and they want to play in their own way but in the borders that the coach sets them and I think this is a philosophy that Tuchel really follows and he sets them borders but inside these borders the players yeah need to fulfill their their creativity but um, on the other side Tuchel in off the pitch he's really strict so I remember this story when he arrived at Paris um, yeah, he went to every nightclub in Paris that was quite popular and he really made a deal with their owners um, that they should in instantly call him or his coaching staff if a player was partying before a game. And um, yeah, what is looking a bit 
yeah, you think oh, why he's doing that, but in the end he demands a lot of his players because he wants to have success. And that's maybe that's the part that's most important. Tuchel wants to have success and he personally behaves 100% professional all the time. You see it in his interviews, in his work rate, in his passion, and he demands the same of his players. I think that's just fair to demand the same of your players that you live yourself. And I think that was the problem with Sarri because I think the smoking in general maybe is not that much of a problem. But um, to be fair, yeah, I mean, if I were a player and I saw my coach smoking, I'm not sure if I could cope with it because it's a, it's a lack of professionalism for me. Maybe it's, it looks like a small thing, but there are, I, I bet there were players in the Chelsea court who really disliked him smoking. Maybe it was different at Neapel because they had big success with him. But at Chelsea, they didn't have this much of a success. So the smoking thing was negative. And Tuchel is a 100% professional person. And yeah, I think the players like it. On that story about nightclubs, Ross Barkley is just handing in a transfer request to Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> as we speak. Um, Maybe there's a connection. <laughs> um, right. Before we sort of move on, obviously, you know, we know that Thomas Tuchel is an upgrade on Frank Lampard. We know he's, you know, he's, he's been in the game a lot longer but. What, where would you sort of rank Thomas Tuchel compared to other top coaches in Europe at the moment? Well, I always said that for me, he is in the top five or even, let's say, top 10 or top five of the coaches, Guardiola, Klopp, Conte, Nagelsmann, because, um, yeah, from just a tactical point of view, I don't think there are many coaches who are better than him. He, he is one of these new generation coaches who never played on the highest professional level himself. But still, um, they are so, so competent and have so much knowledge um, about the game. And um, yeah, I think this is the, the new generation. I mean, um, there are a lot of old coaches, of old style coaches who are also successful. So it's not the truth. But um, I think um, Lampard was a young coach, but he never was one of these laptop coaches that you think he has a lot of innovative ideas and a lot of new um, impulses so he was young but more like this old style coach which was strange this combination but I think Tuchel really is one of these yeah new kids on the block to, to say like that he's not that young anymore but um, he really brings this yeah this fresh energy into into a club fair enough fair enough obviously we saw Thomas Tuchel's press conference and I thought he spoke very well there uh, you know and then obviously he had the Wolves game he'd been you know in England little time and that impressed me personally that he decided to take the hot seat for that game he could easily have sat on the sideline given it to the assistants and said I'll get I'll take Burnley but Rob how impressed were you I guess obviously Wolves you know was far from perfect and obviously will I guess contrast the performance from Wolves to today but what were your sort of just quick like impressions of that Wolves performance and yeah I mean considering that it was 24 hours sort of after he came in I think you could already see there was a real change in approach and a change in the way that we were playing um i do have to say wolves i think earn the record of most negative approach i've seen come <laughs> they came with an intention just to keep a clean sheet and you know with the attacking players they've got there i think if you'd had fans in the stadium i don't think they'd have been able to do that um i think they got away with that purely because there wasn't wolves fans there and you know i saw some of the wolves fans on social media although a lot of them happy to get you know uh, a point and get a clean sheet a lot of them really unhappy that they've got attacking talents like Pedro Neto when he wasn't throwing himself all over the floor. 
um, Daniel Podence, Adama Traore, Willian, Jose coming off the bench and sort of, you know, doing absolutely nothing. And their only real chance in the game came from Ed Mendy sort of booting it, the ball straight to them. Uh, I mean, it was a weird one. If we, so I think it was, again, in the rare occasions I agreed with Paul Merson, he said yesterday that if Kai Harvitz's header at the end of that game goes in, you know, you're coming off the pitch, he's sort of, you know, feeling six foot five, he's coming off, his gold route's sort of over, Tuchel's got a win in his first game in charge, you've dominated the game, you sort of, you know, you haven't created many chances, but you've dominated, you've never looked like conceding. And ultimately, you know, I think it was a, it was a functional performance. I think most of us would have took a sort of, you know, at least a, some sort of reaction afterwards. And ultimately with Paul finishing again, that sort of costs us, which again, I think was the same in today's game. I think that was the big, you know, denominator between the two matches is that if we can really start to, you know, put these chances away, then sooner or later, we're going to give a team a pasting. But it's, you know, how long it takes us to get clinical like that. Yeah, obviously, Jack, Callum Hudson-Odoi was utilised sort of as a wing-back at times against Wolves. A certainly interesting team selection. Obviously, we saw the Jovacic uh, duo back in midfield, which yeah. we'll discuss later. But we, I guess Callum was really the main bright spark from that Wolves game, wasn't Definitely. it? Definitely. Yeah, both games, to be fair. Um, it was an interesting move. You, I think a lot of fans probably thought, what's he doing playing out there, uh, playing wing-back? But it looks like it's a position that can suit him really well with his pace, uh, acceleration, and then how he likes to, he sort of likes to be as close to the touchline as he can, as he can be. So um, I, th- I think it could suit him very well. Um, taking people on, that's what he loves to do. And today, I, I'm i not sure, he, he must have had 100% dribbles or 100% take-ons completed because he was all over Robbie Brady. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think Wolves was a functional performance. I don't think we looked... I thought, you know, at times it was a bit too slow, but it's kind of natural. We didn't necessarily create big opportunities. I think nil-nil was probably a fair result, but Wolves couldn't have complained if we'd won one nil. I'll kind of leave Wolves there because it wasn't a huge amount of action going on. But we beat Burnley today 2-0. That was happy days. Obviously, there are a few changes uh, from the lineup. Mason Mount came in. Uh, from the start, Timo Werner started, Tammy Abraham started, and Marcus Alonso. He he appeared. Tuchel knows that Spurs is just around the corner and he's got to play Alonso <laughs> into form. Uh, we'll get onto that a bit later. But um, Maris, what sort of what did you make of? Do you think Mason Mount made a difference to the team compared to the team against Wolves uh, in midweek? Because it, to me, it certainly felt like there's a bit, just that bit more energy and drive in midfield than perhaps wasn't in midweek. Or am I, you know, being perhaps a bit harsh on Kai Havertz? Yeah, I think so. And I, that's that's what I always said that Tuchel um, he did not put Mount on the bench against Wolf because he did not rate him. But it's it's just because he needed to decide on a starting eleven. And I think when Mount came on against Wolves, you immediately saw that he's a player who is full of confidence and he was on a good run. So I think. Um, yeah, it was an easy decision for Tuchel to start him today. Um, and I think, um, yeah, the, the positioning of the sort of the combination of the players was quite good today because you had like Jorginho who dropped into the, the ha- right half space and then drop a bit deeper to, to let, collect the balls. You had Kovacic who, who played a bit more left decided and um, tried to get from box to box. And you had Mount and Werner who, yeah, had a bit of more freedom and creativity to, to use the spaces. And I think all in all, that, that worked quite well. Um, I'm still not sure um, how Tuchel will go with the striker position because I think Abraham had not a good half 
today and um, it does look like Tuchel does not really trust Werner to be a lone striker. Um, maybe he will start in the next game to really try out everything. But um, it looks like Tuchel wants Werner to either play more on the wing or more behind um, a striker. And um, yeah, like Rob said, I think Chelsea's main problem will be um, to find a bit of clinical, a clinical finishing. If they don't get it, I think they can play as well as they want. They will have problems because they need to score the goal. And I mean, it was a good thing for Alonso to score today. And it was good to have Aspilicueta score today. But these are two fullbacks. And I don't think they will score every game. So, um, yeah, you really need the kinds of Mount, of Kovacic, of Werner. Um, you really need them to, to get numbers to their game. Because I think the strikers at Chelsea at the moment, they... They lack a bit of this uh, clinical finishing, so we need really, uh, yeah, the whole team to to back that up and score goals. Because otherwise, um, we will see a lot of games that will end either nil nil, one nil, and uh, it's always a dangerous, um, yeah, scoreline. I I liked how Tuchel sort of addressed that in the uh, interview after the game. Though they asked him about the two defenders scoring, and he said like, oh. I won't complain, I'll take it. But the strikers know that it should be them that sticking these away, not the defenders. And he was like, it's something we're going to work on. So I like that he was addressing that publicly because that if we're, if we're not going to start becoming more clinical in front of goal, it's going to cost us big time this the rest for the rest of the season. Yeah, I don't know what our XG was, but I'd imagine it was higher than the two goals we uh, we scored today. <laughs> Amazingly, this is one of the few times this season where we've committed what I describe as XG murder, which is uh, the XG for 1.43. So, and Burnley nearly became the first team in the Premier League to record the zero, the dreaded zero. <laughs> the, the header in the last minute, Bizarrely got a 0.4. So that either suggests a much better chance than I thought, or I'm not giving Burnley enough credit with that set piece. <laughs> right um obviously i want to talk to you rob how good was callum hudson Adoy, man and how big how important do you think he can be under thomas tuchel i mean it's no at the end of the day we've all known that hudson Adoy is a real real player and okay with his achilles injury it came probably at the worst time for a young player because he was just breaking through and starting to really shine then and it's sort of a reset and i think last year in all honesty was a bit of you know reset for him especially with you know he got back to full fitness and then we had the coronavirus break and that's immediately going to stunt a season. This season, I don't think he's been used enough. I think, you know, it's hard to think of many games where hudson Adoy has played where he's not been a real threat. And especially performances where we've won, it's hard to think of games where he's not played well. Um, I would personally still rather see him in the front three. Um, I would rather see him probably on the left, cutting inside on onto his right and using sort of that area. We saw him do that come against Luton and sort of did incredibly um, sort of well. And we saw him uh, sort of do similar the other day against Wolves when he was moved in that position. But I also do think uh, you can get away with using it, the wing-back role against sort of teams that are going to try and, for want of a better phrase, park the bus and teams that are going to be defensively solid because he doesn't need to track back and defend. Now, OK, today I think was sort of the perfect game in that regard because Burnley don't really have much pace on the wing besides McNeil, they didn't really ever get the ball out to McNeil and never really got directly running at him. Do I worry if, say, against Tottenham midweek, they decide to start Vinicius up front and stick someone like Lucas Moura or a human son out there and get them running at him? Yes, I do. Because I don't think he's defensively, you know, got the defensive now at the minute. 
But what I will say is there's that real footballing brain with Hudson Odoi, and you're starting to see it, you know, come on leaps and bounds again. The assists today to Aspelacuata, I don't think in previously he would have made that assist because I think previously he's had a bit of tunnel vision. He gets his head down and sort of shoots, and you saw that a bit earlier in the game. He had a shot, I think, that Tarkowski deflected wide. This time, laid it across to Aspelacuata, and you know he finished it very, very well. To be honest, I don't think any of us expected Aspelacuata to be the one opening the Tuchelera, but you know that's that's you know more, more for me for not trusting my captain. Um, and yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think he was excellent today. I think after Reese James came on, he still, you know, looked very good in that role. But I also think to an element that was also due to how negative both Burnley and, you know, midweek Wolves played. Um, the jury to me is still out on him in that wingback role, but it is the sort of thing where it looks like he could do very, very well. And one thing that is certain is that, you know, he's a top young player, real creative force. Every time he gets the ball, he looks like doing something exciting. And uh, I, I don't like, you know, comparing young players because every young player should be, you know, treated in sort of, you know, unique ways. But I'd like to see him be a bit more like Harvey Barnes at Leicester. And Barnes a little bit older and a little bit wiser. But Harvey Barnes against us was so, so direct. And every time he got the ball, it was just one intent, take on the wing back and either cut inside and get a shot off or get to the ball and get a cross in. And I don't think we have anyone like that in our squad at the minute. Um, I think Pulisic started to show flash of it last year, but this year he's gone a bit, you know, back the other way and is trying to sort of beat every single man. Um I don't think Harvitz is that sort of player. He's a sort of different type of option anyway. Uh, Timo Werner most definitely is not a pure winger and, you know, it's stupid trying to play him out in that role, in my opinion. So I would like to see us, you know, tell Callum really to back his ability one-on-one because I don't think there's many fullbacks in the league he can't go past if he's, you know, committed at it. And I, again, I can't say it live on here, but it's very entertaining to see the quote that Robbie Brady... Um, oh, Rob, you can say it. You can say it. It's fine. I have standards. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no, the quote Robbie Brady was quoted as saying to Sean Dyche when uh, Hudson had always taken him on in the second half. I recommend looking that up, and that shows you what I think a lot of fullbacks and defenders are going to start to feel in the next couple of months. Yeah, fair enough. Great points there. Right, Jack, talk to me. Mason Mount, he comes in, you know, and I thought today, apart from his shooting boots that he left behind, I thought on the whole he was pretty good today. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we'll sound like a stuck record on on here pretty much most weeks, bigging bigging that kid up. But he really he really is the big deal. Um, I thought just touching on Wolves, he came on for five ten minutes and he did more than most of the other players that on uh on Wednesday or whatever it was, um, made a difference straight away in that game and fully deserved to start today. Um. 50th start I think for the club which is which is a big landmark and the youngest since since JT so that's always something nice to hear but it's it's just the the same usual things from that kids he he just shows that desire that I've, a lot of the players weren't showing towards the end of Lampard's tenure and just he's always there putting in a hundred percent I know it's a like people can rinse that and say oh you're only saying that but it really does mm-hmm. make a big difference um and I heard something early on in the half from BT saying that he's uh, created like 48 chances or something this Gone season, and it was only now, five yeah. less than he created the whole of the whole of last season. So it just shows he's improving all the time, uh, and also it shows that all these people on social media creating this this like false representation that oh he's Lampard's son he's only there because 
because of favoritism it just it just goes to show that he 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 has been our best player this season and anyone any Chelsea fan that doesn't agree with that honestly is deluded i i, I can't oh, say but... any more than that and he just does does a bit of everything i think i saw something earlier on twitter that he made more tackles than anyone uh Attempted more shots, even though, like you said, <laughs> they didn't quite come off really, did they? Ended up in the shed upper a few times um, and then created created the second most chances. So, I mean, he, he's a real special talent. And if we can hold on to that boy, he's, he's definitely going to be a club legend and captain in the future. Yeah, it's just like the little things like his little turns in behind, you know, but he's, you know, sort of yeah. knows the last two games, the passes, like the four passes to mm-hmm. Callum. He obviously had an integral part to play in the first goal as well. Yay, another stellar yeah. performance from the boy. Maris, I want to go to you about Jorginho and Matteo Kovacic because for a lot of Chelsea fans, those two are like the Antichrist. They are, I, 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 I sort of jokingly and lovingly refer to them as dumb and dumber when we're on the pitch together because I'm not necessarily a fan of, <laughs> of what they offer. Um, these two games, Chelsea have dominated the possession a lot. Has that, you know, perhaps hindered perhaps sort of their um, deficiencies or is Tuchel going to actually, or is Tuchel's setup going to actually get the best out of these two players, do you think? Well, um, the thing is, I mean, I'm not that much, um, so I don't watch Chelsea week in and week out, so I my my expectation of Jorginho is not that much from the past. So it's just what I think of him as a general player, and I like Jorginho because um, you always know what you get from him because he does not a lot of mistakes. He plays a good ball, and I think um, he is quite adaptable. So if your coach when the coach of Jorginho says he needs to play a more direct approach, um, he's able to do that because he's quite an, has a high football IQ to tell it like that. So I think to have a player like Jorginho in your team um, on the long term is not the worst thing to, to have. Um, with Kovacic, of course, um, I think he is still underrated because he's not a guy who adds a lot of numbers to your game. He's not he's not adding assists or goals in, in a in a bunch. Um, he's not really um, touchable. So I think if if you if you need to to say three good things about Kovacic's play, you will find a hard time because he has not that that strength, but he has also not that weakness. So he has a lot of things he's good at. Um, so um, he's a com- complete football player um, and I think both in combination um, in a pivot um, it's not my favorite pivot because I think in the games against Wolves or Burnley of course you don't really have to defend anything you just have a lot of possession and Tuchel knew that um, I think against Tottenham that will be problematic because um, with their pace and with their presence in midfield with Ndombele with Wings they will have a hard time, but that's, I always saying that's where, what a squad is good for. So you don't have just 11 players in your team. And I think Tuchel knows that. I would be really, really surprised if he starts with Kovacic and Jorginho against Spurs. I would be really surprised because, um, yeah, I mean, a team with 20 players, it's not like you have ele- your 11 best players and the other players are just if someone is injured. So you really need to play the best players for that game. And for the game against Burnley, a home game, maybe Jorginho is the best player. For a game against Spurs or against City or Liverpool, maybe 
let's say Kante is the best player to play in this game. So I think um, Tuchel is a, is good at it to really use the whole squad. So, um, like I said, I would be surprised if Jorginho and Kovacic will play against yeah against stronger teams. But of course, um, why not sit sit Kante on the bench and start with Jorginho Kovacic against teams who sit back? Because I mean, you don't really need Kante there. Um, he's also good on the ball, um, don't take me wrong. But um, yeah, I think Tuchel really needs to use the whole squad because Chelsea got a lot of different players, um, specific players. One of these is good at one-on-ones. The other one is good at passing. So um, yeah, there are a lot of games this season. And I think um, Tuchel will come up with a lot of different lineups, just what the opponent demands of, of this lineup. Rob, I think, you know, my top three players on pitch today were Mason Mount, Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mateo Kovacic. How good do you, you know, firstly, where has this Mateo Kovacic been this season? And, you know, do you think Thomas Tuchel could be the man to get the best out of him going forward? I mean, it's difficult because I I get very frustrated by Mateo Kovacic when I watch him live. Because, and even when I watch, when I watch him on TV, because there's so much talent there and there's clearly a really good player. There's an excellent player between the two boxes. But, Inside the opposition final third, I don't think he does it anywhere near enough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm relieved to see him passing forward more now, but there's still so much more I think he can do. And I think that in the longer term, if we suggest, you know, suggest maybe a situation where you had Mount and Kante in that midfield, I think that longer term that's going to offer more than Kovacic's Jorginho. Um, I, I would also personally say, I think, you know, the, in terms of we're talking about players today, the other one I'd say was Thiago Silva. Um, again, just like you know, just looks like cut above. He's just strolling through matches nowadays, and it's you know, it's just a crime. He's not five years younger because if he was, we'd have the best defender in the Premier League for the next five years. Um, but yeah, Kovacic is a sort of such an odd sort of player, jack of all trades, sort of ace of none. If he can improve his shooting and be more confident, because he gets into good positions, that's what's frustrating. But then he just seems to, you know make the total wrong decision at the last minute if he can improve that decision making which you know I think he's now 26 27 he needs to be getting to a point where that's you know becoming fine-tuned there's a really decent midfielder in there but I think until you know he gets to that level it's hard to see many reasons to make him one of the first names on the team sheet I'm honest. I think the perfect example of that today was when he got into Burnley's box in the first half and he just overcooked a pass to Callum mm. who was overlapping on the right side and if that was a better pass he probably could have had a yeah, shot on goal. The, there was a, again in, in that move I think it was Abraham had made an early run, Werner had made an early run, both of them were there for the early pass and he just dribbled and took I think another midfielder on and by the time he got it he got it out to Hudson or Hudson or in the end you know it wasn't a great pass he did his best he cut back inside I think had a shot and he went for a corner but it's the sort of one where if you have someone in between the lines there who's really good at those passes, like a De Bruyne or someone, you know, that's... A sh- and obviously, I know Kovacic is not a De Bruyne or not for 10 years, but at the end of the day, if you have someone in that quality in there, that's a guaranteed sort of, you know, one-on-one chance. And ultimately, then it's up to the strikers sort of to finish it. But, yeah, the jury's still out for me on Mateo Kovacic. Fair enough. Jack, Marcus Alonso secured the win. You know, we were a bit nervous at 1-0. Cracking finish from the boy. Fair play to him. Talk, talk to me about Marcus that, Alonso's performance yeah, today. Turned, in, turned into Roberto Carlos, didn't he? Blimey. No, quality finish from him. Won't take that away from him. Um, I think maybe a few Chelsea fans would have thought 
he's the last person they wanted to see scoring a goal today. Um, and then just him celebrating, pointing to the Chelsea badge. Um, I think that probably ruffled a few feathers. Um, that that Chelsea badge represents Frank Lampard, so uh, he can do one on that on that front. Um, but no quality finish. And to be fair, he likes to turn up against Spurs, doesn't he? So probably the best time for him to be getting into form because uh, after scoring today, I think he'll be starting on Thursday, won't he? Fair enough. I, I wouldn't like to try and predict anything about Thomas Tuchel. There's a reason he's known <laughs> as the <laughs> chameleon. Yeah, OK, fair enough. I think that sums up the two games there. I'm now going to move on to some listener questions. Uh, Maris, I'll go to you. This one on first. This one comes in from Milan. He goes, is free of a back the way forward or is it just a safety net to start with Thomas Tuchel? Well, I was surprised because when I was asked in the previous podcast before the first game against Wolves, um, I went with a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. So I thought he would stick with a four at the back because he did it in his, the past teams always at the beginning. And I think he switched to a three at the back after the first season. Um, it looks like it's his preferred formation at the moment. And uh, there are a lot of reasons to play with three at the back. But... Um, yeah, I would be really, really surprised if we won't see uh, four at the back um, somewhere this season. So I think, um, yeah, it will be a mixture of both. But um, yeah, it gives Chelsea a good defensive stability at the moment um, with, with Thiago Silva, who is really suited to a, to a three at the back. So why not? I mean, um, we talked about Hudson Odoi, who is quite good now at this, at this right spot. So um, yeah, I think... In the next two or three games, he will stick with it, but we will have a period where he will change to a 4-3-3, I think. Follow-up to that, Ayush asked, do we, do we or do we not dwell into what players and formations Tuchel is playing at the moment as he switches formations and rotates players quite frequently? Is it sort of early days with Tuchel don't perhaps read much into the lineups? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, a good example is him starting Giroud last week uh, on, on Wednesday because... Yeah, I'm not. I always thought that Giroud is not really a Tuchel player. So, but I mean, Tuchel is a coach. Every player gets his fair chance, and um, yeah, I think at the moment it's a bit of testing and tweaking a bit around. So, I'm not saying that every player who is playing now is really in his long-term plan. So, that's my opinion. He's giving every player a chance to prove himself. But I wouldn't talk too much into the starting 11s at the moment. So that's my point of view of it. Fair enough. The next question, I'll go to you with this one on Rob. It comes in from Travis. He asks, Alonso, Callum, Kovacic, Jorginho, Azpi and Rudy are, get, are being given chances and are succeeding under, under Tuchel. Do you think these early new leases of life say more about Tuchel's abilities or does it say more about Lampard being able to utilise these players who are now succeeding? Obviously, it is two, two games in. So... I mean, I think this is important to preface this, that we don't know what happened behind the scenes, ultimately. Um, I would argue that with Azpilicueta, I think being centre-back, it's better for him nowadays because he's lost a yard of that pace. And whilst he still reads the game really, really well, um, he's lost a yard of that pace at, at full-back. And ultimately, he's never been the best crosser of the ball, if we're completely honest. So I think being at the back, it allows him to use his defensive sort of now and his stability and, you know, perhaps put in some more early crosses, which is something he was quite good at um, sort of a couple of seasons ago, but he's never been, you know, a sort of fullback to get to the byline. Um, Tony Rudiger, again, the jury is still out. Like, 
we've been here before with Rudiger. He's had a few decent performances. And then when you right need it most, he will, you know, do something ridiculous and let you down. And, um, you know, I'm going to stand to that. And I'd be worried about starting Rudiger against Spurs because I can see that being the sort of thing where someone like Hummin, especially if we start Alonso, Hummin's son is just going to go and sit in that area and just sit in there and wait for the mistake because it will come. Um, Marcus Alonso, again, we don't really know what's happened. Alonso is just a very strange, strange, strange footballer. Um, like defensively, uh, defensively, really, when you put him under pressure, he doesn't have a clue. And like, he doesn't really have the speed. But I think, you know, to be honest, we've been robbed of one of the greatest like target men of our generation in Marcus Alonso. You know, put him up front. He can volley it. He's really good in the air. Um, he can sort of shoot on both feet. He can hold the ball up quite well. Box in the box. Yeah, honestly, you know, I'd love to know one of the things about Alonso about his like, you know, shots on target ratio, because he must have one of the best ones in the Premier League shots to goal ratio. Um, but yeah, so there's a more general sort of point. I think you know, certainly it does show a bit from Tuchel. Um, and I think you know, at the end of the day, we have to be honest. Tuchel is a better tactical manager than Frank Lampard, um, and it shouldn't be a crime sort of to say that. But I, I think it's harsh to say Lampard wasn't getting the most out of the squad. I think rather it's a case that perhaps players, you know, have more of a point to prove now. At the end of the day, they know that when fans come back, there is still going to be an awful lot. And there always still will be a, good, a lot of goodwill for Frank Lampard. Most of these players will never have a legacy like Frank Lampard at Chelsea. And that's, you know, shouldn't be something to argue. The only one who might ever be sort of close to it. Again, Hudson, obviously the jury's out. But Cesar Azpilicueta, you know, obviously his views is a bit of a legend. But... The others, I don't think any of them are ever going to, you know, reach that pantheon. Um, and I think, you know, it's a point to prove that perhaps, you know, they've been the, beat, the boot stuck in them a bit by the media. And so it's fighting back. And you always see that, sadly, when, you know, a manager changes. I'm reminded of the that game against Sunderland a few years ago after Mourinho went, where suddenly, you know, Oscar turned up and looked like a man possessed after sort of you know, downing tools for a couple of months. Fair enough. Uh, Jack, the clean slate. The next one comes to you from Trey. He asks, who starts at strike for the Tottenham game? And would it would you go maybe one or two of them on top? Because obviously we saw Tammy and Timo today in that first half. Cool. That's a bit of a difficult question, isn't it? Based on recent form. Well, I thought Tammy had a bit of a shocker in the first half today. Um, nothing was quite sticking to him. I think the one that summed it up was a ball came and he tried to chest it down and just got dispossessed straight away. I thought that just summed it up his far half. Wasn't surprised when he came off. It could have been him or Timo, to be honest. Um, Timo's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, you s- seem to be saying every week, oh, one will go in and they'll they'll flood. But um, the confidence is just so low at the moment. Um, it's, it's hard to say. And then, um, like we said, and like Marius said, that... Uh, Giroud maybe isn't a Tuchel, Tuchel kind of player. Um, I, to be honest, I'm struggling, mate. It it doesn't really matter to me. It could be it could be any of them really, and it could even be Pulisic because you saw him occupying a bit of a central role at points today. But I I couldn't really pick one to be honest with you. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, next question. I'll give this one to you, Maris. Comes in from Andrew. He asks, "How long till we have one or two relatively nailed lineup systems, if at all, and what is the vision of personnel?" Uh, well, I think this could take uh, some weeks. I mean, I would not be surprised if Tool really just finds his uh, real formation and his real starting lineup next season because, uh, yeah, there are so many games this season that you can't really pick your fixed starting 11 because, yeah, there are so many 
matches and so many players in the squad um, where he really needs to share the minutes. So um, I think Chelsea's squad is close to a Tuchel squad from the players because there are a lot of players who are good at tripling and in one versus ones that Tuchel needs. But I think um, he's still missing two or three key players on key positions that really suit his style. So I think um, this season will be a bit of a, yeah, a preparation season for me. So, of course, top four Champions League um, football next season is important for them. So um, this should be a main focus. But I think the real Tuchel football will be seen next season. Fair enough. Uh, this all relates to what Marissa just said. Uh, Rob, in your opinion, what does a successful season look like for Tuchel? That comes in from Scott. I'm going to be honest. I think he has to get top four football. Um, I think, you know, I think ultimately, if you're going to remove Lampard from a role where people didn't necessarily think he was doing too badly, I think it has to be for a clear upgrade. Um, I think, you know, the top four is certainly still in the grasp. I think every team, and this includes us, will still lose points. Um in the run-up, you will see weird results like, you know, we saw a couple of weeks ago sort of um, Liverpool dropping points to that Burnley side and United losing to Sheffield United last week. Arsenal, obviously, at some point will um, sort of, you know, revert back to their former ways uh, before, from before Christmas. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think you will see all sides will drop points. Um, it's important just to get a run going. Obviously, again, if we can sort of, you know, beat Spurs, then you suddenly start to sort of get a few games sort of under the belt unbeaten um, and sort of, you know, a decent result against Barnsley, I think, in the FA Cup. Realistically, we should be looking to progress there. Another decent draw in that and suddenly you're in the quarterfinals. By then, it's just, you know, a couple of 90 minutes till Wembley and sort of anything can happen. Um, to me, yeah, it needs to be top four and the FA Cup. In the Champions League, I really don't know because despite topping our group, we managed, you know, to draw the most informed team in Europe with you know, Diego Simeone taking advantage of both Barcelona and Real Madrid being awful and getting Atletico playing quite well and actually playing quite expansively. So I'd say, yeah, top four football, a trophy. Um, I don't think, you know, it's unreasonable to say we couldn't, you know, win the FA Cup, especially with, I think, Liverpool and, you know, Arsenal already out of it. Other sides, you know, will fall at hurdles. There are more Premier League sides, I think, facing each other in the next round. So sort of, you know, another more will go. And it's just important just to keep, you know, ticking along, hopefully getting decent draws and just getting, you know, the results on the board. Ultimately, ultimately, I think, you know, people will judge whether the Tuchel's appointment is the right one as to whether we get top four or not. And if we do, I think people will say yes. If we don't, I think people will then start to question it a bit more. Fair enough. Uh, Jack, this next one comes in from RJ. He, has, he asks, what did you make of the subs performances and any sort of starters for the next match? Um... Okay, I don't think any any of them really set set the world alight. To be honest with you, I thought Reese I thought Reese was probably the best out of the three of them when he came on, um, which was good because he needs to show that. That's what I find a bit worrying. Obviously, Callum's been playing well at wing back, and it's great to see. But you're sort of thinking, where is Reese going to fit into this team? Um, so it was good to see him come on, put in a decent performance, and. He was getting forward, managing to put some decent crosses in as well. Um, I mean, Havertz came on for 10 minutes. I don't think you can really judge too much into that. Uh, hard to make a big impact when you've got only 10, 15 minutes to do so. I mean, he almost made that through ball to Werner. 
um, which got cut out. That would have been that would have been nice, wouldn't it, to um, see those two combine to to score a goal and then Pulisic as well. To be honest with you, I, I think I he's know, trying I to. I don't hard. really remember him. Yeah, I don't really remember him doing too much. Yeah, that we've, one yeah, real good chance, didn't he? That one chance yeah, he shot just wide, just past the post. Yeah. And that just goes back to our we need to be more clinical. He's got we've got to stick those away against the bigger teams. That said, he did also did get the assist for the Alonso goal. Yeah, Mario. that is true. Yeah, true. That's true. true. Very, that is very, very true. Um, Rob, I'll give this one well, I'll give this one to I guess both you and actually I'll give this one to you. It's gonna take a lot of t- uh, a bit of time for attacking pants to take full effect. Is it smart to have someone like Alonso in the team who can make something happen from nothing? Obviously we know the goal threat he does provide from left wing back. Is it worth having someone like him in the team? Does it outweigh the liability? I mean, it depends what game you're playing in. I think like if you're playing anyone who's got a quick direct winger, then no, because they're just going to, you know, exploit that yard of space that's in behind him at all times. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I, I would be very worried if we started that lineup against sort of, you know, with Alonso in that position against Spurs, because a Lucas Moore or Son is just going to have a field day, especially with the space that Rudiger leaves in behind. One thing I will say Azpilicueta is very good at, and this will come from him also being a fullback, is that when Hudson and Doyle was going forward, he was occupying that right sweet spot of space between the centre-back role and the right-back role. And this was meaning that McNeil couldn't just, you know, rampage forward and be an outlet every single time. Um, and that in turn was meaning Hudson and Doyle could get back when he needed to. Uh, the same also say with Thiago Silva, he's really good at marshalling that central area. But to me, Alonso is someone who I think you, you know, against, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase this right, against lesser teams in the Premier League, all the ones where we know they're gonna, you know, come against Chelsea, and the ambition is going to be to play on the break and sort of, you know, to park the bus for want of a better phrase. You can perhaps get away with Alonso being in there because ultimately, you know, he does shoot and he does create stuff and nothing, and he's very good at dead balls. But I don't think he's got the crossing on sort of Ben Chilwell or on Emerson. Um, I mean, to be honest, again, I suppose the big question in all of this is where does Emerson Palmieri sort of fit in? Because I don't think he's really a wing-back. Um, I don't really, you know, think he fits in at left-back at this moment in time. I don't really, you know, I'm worried we're going to end up seeing a situation where he ends up on the left wing again. Um, <laughs> like some of those horrendous Maurizio Sarri games. But, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's an odd one. Alonso, I think he's got a place in the side, but only in the right sort of match. It's got to be a match to sort of fit him, not the side accommodating mm. Marcus Alonso. Fair it might also be be good as well, like seeing him score a goal today and in my opinion, will probably probably start the next game um, just based on that, really. It might be good psychologically for someone like Chilwell because he's seen him perform and that mm, should yeah. put a rocket up his backside that he needs to train hard and perform when he's given the chance. It's not just a freebie because that's what it seemed like it was the rest of this season. It was always just going to be him, really, unless it was a FA Cup game against a small team. So that could be good in a way to get more out of him like it's happened with someone like Shaw at United, they brought in Tellez and now look at Shaw the last month, he's been absolutely quality for them. So I think that's good. And like you look at the team today, like we had the likes of Kante, Pulisic, Zuma, Giroud, Chilwell, James and Havertz on the bench. And we still we still won the game. It just shows how good our squad is. And hopefully going forward, that will come in a very good use. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Uh, Tom asked, does this mean Alonso v Spurs? I'll just do a quick yes or no. Rob, yes or no? Sadly, yes. Jack? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it will be as well, yeah. Fair enough. I'll say yes, Marcus Alonso against Spurs. Reload it, reload it. I won't I won't be complaining if we get a free kick on the right-hand side and he whips it over the wall top bins. <laughs> Fair enough. Jay asks, Alonso or Chilwell going forward? I guess, Rob, does that probably just depend on formation, perhaps? I, I think formation and opponent. Um, you know, the, uh, sort of, you know, you make a very good point, Jack, on sort of whether Alonso sort of come back into form. If that is going to be, you know, a big sort of thing for Chilwell, because I think it will help Chilwell in the long term, as you said, in that it gives him some proper competition. And up to this point, okay, Emerson's been at Chelsea, but I don't really think you know we can realistically say it's been sort of you know a battle for the spot. Whereas at wing-back, potentially there is that one. I also think at some point, and again, I'm not sure when, but I have a feeling there will be a situation in a game where we see Pulisic at wing-back. Um, and I have a feeling it will be again in one of the games again when perhaps we need to break a team down and we've got sort of, you know, Werner in that wide left striker role and you have Pulisic in there because then he, if he plays out directly wide, it forces Werner to go inside. And I think even today, again, I will, I will just give a comment on Timo Werner even though it's not coming off for him at the moment, he's getting himself in the positions and putting himself in there. And just by the law of averages, eventually, 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 and I will, you know, this sounds like a broken record, but eventually one of them's got to come good. And I do, you do get the feeling with a team of Werner that he is the sort of striker that you did see it to an extent again against, um, he scored against Morecambe and then in the next game, he did score against Leicester, albeit for the flag to, you know, go up and very, very harshly rule offside. He is the sort of striker where you feel if it, you know, if one does go in, they're just going to start flowing again, as we saw early in the season. But it just takes that one to go in. And, you know, I feel against, you know, last week against Luton, the penalty miss went helped him because that was sort of, you know, a bit of his sort of bread and butter, really, for a striker. But ultimately, ultimately, he just sort of has to work his way through the patch. And I'd rather see him playing and trying to do that than just, you know, cowering on the sidelines or, not wanting to be there at all, like certain other strikers have shown in the past. Fair enough. Uh, Ray asked, and I'll give this one to Marish. Ray and Ryan sort of talking about that midfield. Jury goes, what should uh, should we try Kante or Georgie to partner cover in the double pivot? Which is the strongest out of the three? Obviously, you know, again, a talking point. Obviously, Maris sort of touched upon it earlier, but I guess is it just game dependent? Do you think? Um, yeah, well, um, for me, it's definitely um, yeah, Kante as the as the strongest midfielder. And um, like I said, as long as Tuchel is not buying his yeah his preferred deep line playmaker, I think he will go with with Jorginho there. And um, yeah, of course, a, a midfield three of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante on paper looks like a good combination because you have one with the dirty work like with Kante, you have a deep-lying playmaker with Jorginho and you have a box-to-box midfielder in uh, Kovacic. But, of course, you might lack um, an offensive output with these three midfielders, obviously. So I think a player like Mason Mount, um, despite um, yeah, not really being lucky in front of goal himself, but I think he gets into these positions where he has an actual chance to score a goal quite often at the moment. So, um, yeah, I think on paper, a midfield three with Kovacic, Virginia and Conte looks good, but I don't think Tuchel will go with it that much um, because, yeah, he's not really trusting his strikers as it seems too much at the moment. So he relies on a goal-scoring midfielder, 
So, um, yeah, I think he would rather go with Harvards even in midfield position um, as a number 10 because um, Harvards can score goals. We've seen it last season. Um, so, um, yeah, I think he really wants to have one player in midfield who can score a goal. Fair enough. Final question. I'll give this one to you, Jack. Comes in from Dwayne. He goes, if Lampard switched to this formation and played this exact players, do you think he would have received a backlash from the fans? And how do you think the players would receive this switch in tactics? Um, I mean, it's a difficult question question to answer in hindsight when he's when Frank managed to sort of fr- frozen out a lot of those players that played today. Um, but formation wise, I'm not sure because he's he's played three at the back in big games like against Spurs, perfect example twice last year, and United in the FA Cup and got big results. So, um. I'm not. I'm not too sure. To be fair, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say a backlash. But then, if it was like one of these games towards the end of his reign, people were finding any sort of straws to latch on to, uh, mm. sort of have a go at him in a way. So, yeah, probably that. Yeah, I think it probably would have been a backlash against Frank. Because let's be real, the lineup wasn't the most inspiring when we saw it. But again, he got no. the job done. And if 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 Tuchel's going to get results with it, with perhaps uninspiring lineups, I'm all for that, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That's all the questions you guys sent in uh, for this episode of Atchers Podcast. I want to thank Rob for coming on. Rob, it's been a pleasure. Drop your socials where people can follow you. Yeah. So again, you'll mainly find me at sort of at the Chelsea social and at the CFCW social, but also at RJP journalism. If you ever want to deal with my rants about Jorginho. <laughs> Fair enough. And Maris, I want to say a big thank you for coming. It was great to have someone come on to, to give expert insight on Thomas Tuchel as well as get your thoughts on, on some listener questions. Uh, where can the people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at gegenpressing91. Um, I think gegenpressing, a word that Chelsea fans will get to know in the future with <laughs> Tuchel in charge. So, um, yeah, you can follow me there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Marius, drop him a follow for, for all his visuals. And he's also got a Patreon as well, which I'll leave. Uh, in the description as well Jack it's been a pleasure Chelsea are back to winning ways so it's happy days as for us you can follow us on Instagram at that Chelsea pod on Twitter at that Chelsea pod as I said make sure you check out our two brilliant guests uh, in the description down below and until the next episode everybody keep the blue flag flying high Sports Social Podcast Network With lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.